Hello, my name is Chris. I started EYP about 10 years ago in Finland. Besides EYP, my interest is in supply chain management, which I'm currently studying in Vienna. I'm about to finish my master's degree and during my time in EYP, I mostly did media team and organizing. Chris, why do you have a decent mic? I, I'm, I'm not saying anything bad against this awesome that finally, you know, we get someone on the recording who's got a decent mic, but everyone's normally either trying to record with their lid or like mic on their headphones or using their computer audio. Like what? I feel like there's a story behind this. Well, I mean, I actually bought it before going to Novi Sad as an editor because, um, well, the media team members wanted to do lots of audio projects, but yeah, we ended up not doing a single audio project. So it's actually the first time I'm properly using it. Ah, we're baptizing it. Beautiful. Yeah. That's also why I was wondering about the setup and everything. So I haven't tried this. I just seen videos where they say, hey, keep in mind where the air goes and the air should go above or below or something like that. But then the sound kind of thing you know so are you the type of person that um let's say you buy a new piece of tech or something like this you go on youtube you'll have look at all the videos or the instructions get all of that information behind it first then go in and, and ace it yes exactly it's nice, prepared so person. yeah before i buy something it's probably weeks if not months of preparation Damn. finding the best product best value for money kind of thing you know and then sometimes there's a bargain sometimes you know hey i don't really need this but it's only 50 more euros and then you need a certain amount of time and then after some time you're like okay what's 50 euros anyway and then then you buy it right <laughs> yeah I, I used to do that so much like to spend days and days researching something that i wanted to buy and then at some point i realized i could just put this effort into doing actual work and get paid more and get more value for my time <laughs> Then I and just buy the most expensive option that there is. That's probably the best, anyways, and just end up <laughs> winning in that. Not doing that thing. Yeah, but I have to say I'm quite satisfied. So I think in the last few years I never bought anything which I was disappointed of afterwards, like large investments. <laughs> but then, like from the way you explain, like all your, um, like how you went to then purchase the mic, how you did all that research, I can yeah, I, I see how that links to to your masters with uh lo logistics was it logistics supply management no supply something management <laughs> supply chain management supply chain. which is logistics in the end <laughs> nice i mean and like have you so well, one, one thing that that with joe we, we kind of talk a lot about is when we like weave what we do i know irl like in real life or like in our professional world or, or like student world or something like this or with like different things in eyp and like we've been talking mainly like on a train training point of view or leadership point of view but then from like a logistics point of view, are there things like from your masters or stuff like that that you started to weave into EYP or you can kind of kind of see how we do things well or do things really fucked up or stuff like this? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that you, I think it works both directions actually. So there's a lot from EYP which you can take into that field, but it also works the other way around. And it might be, if you have a really simple thing, it might be setting up a coffee break. Because of course there's better and worse ways to set up a coffee break. If the table is 
placed somewhere near the entrance and people like come in and then they the table is like sort of blocking the way in that's probably not the best way to set it up right and then of course i mean if you could go as far as to like really using queuing theory and that kind of things to determine hey what's the best way to set up a coffee break that might be taking it a bit too far but i think <laughs> the the very basic approach there could definitely help and then well i think in eyp we sort of strive for the best results like at least always when i went to eyp media teams i always did a lot of research before into how do I take the best looking pictures, what settings should I use for portraits and so on. And in logistics is kind of the same. You have a problem to some extent. That's usually not really a problem, but something you want to optimize. And then you start digging into the issue and see what you can do, what you can change within the system to get a better result which would be the same for the picture because you still have the same camera, you still have the same subject, but maybe just rotating the subject into a different light might lead into a very much better picture in that sense. So I think there's a, it's quite linked. Yeah, yeah, I, I never really kind of like looked at that link. It's very logical. I think logistics, I don't know if it derives from logical or anything, but it would make sense. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Well, unlike the, the yeah, the nickname for it being Logi. <laughs> well, here now we have a professional here to tell us why are all EYP transfers late? <laughs> it was the logistics issue that leads to every single mm. EYP transfer. Yeah, not every single one, but like vast majority. <laughs> well, actually, it's very simple. It's because they start late, so they arrive late. It's it's the same same for planes actually. If you it's that's also part of my thesis a bit. So I'm doing it for tracking delays, but uh, there's a lot of research into why planes are being delayed. And the main number one reason for planes arriving late is late departure. <laughs> I mean, it seems obvious, but that that's the, that, that's the main reason. It's not because something happens on the way or the pilot doesn't know where to fly or anything like that. It's also not about the weather conditions so much. It's really because the departure of the plane is being delayed. So if you want to plan your transfers accordingly, maybe you should make sure that you actually leave on the desired time. So if you want to leave at one o'clock, you shouldn't meet at one o'clock because that's never going to work out. <laughs> nice. I was actually watching a video the other day uh, by uh, CGP Grey. Um, on YouTube and it's really really good about airlines and about uh, boarding methods exactly different boarding methods so so good it's it's so 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 good so he kind of like breaks down says okay imagine you know you have this hypothetical plane and you have all of these passengers and each of them are allocated to different seats what is going to be the best way to try to get them onto the plane and onto their seats bearing in mind that some of them may have to then stop put things in the overhead compartment take the time as they go in etc and they started look, looking through all different methods and one of the best methods out there is just complete randomization absolute randomization to go on to there it tends to be one of the most efficient and effective methods then start to look at how could we try to make this better and try all different experiments and stuff like this through computer simulation and then he starts to reverse he says okay what if you wanted to on purposely do the worst possible way of boarding people onto the plane what would you start with 
Okay, Lord, well, let's send everyone through that first door and let's put all the people who need to sit at the very beginning of the plane. Let's get them in, but then everyone queuing behind them to then block that court. Basically explaining the system that we that we use today with allowing first class or like priority or like this kind of car membership of people who are normally towards the front of the plane first. And yeah, he kind of breaks down the exact worst way to board a plane. And it tends to look like how 90% of our plane boardings actually work today. <laughs> yes. No, and it's very interesting because you usually have this this thing you just described in uh, supply chains because it's always how much they earn, how much they gain, because obviously they get money. They get money from people paying first class to sit in the front row, paying for the extra seating. So you always have to take into consideration how much do they actually earn by purposefully delaying the departure with the not so efficient boarding technique because i mean of course they could save a lot of time but then again they wouldn't make less money so it's you know yeah so i think they found the the perfect spot between revenue and time true yeah especially with the budget airlines there's a lot of like documentation about how they design their routes so that the airplanes are just like maximizing the time that they are online or that they're on in the air so that you, when I was flying to London, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I could so clearly say, okay, my flight was late because, okay, so the previous flight that was arriving, the people, it was arriving late, the people came out, we went straight into the plane. And then when I was flying back from London, I went, okay, my flight was late again because the, pre, the plane didn't arrive on time. And then when we got there, I saw that the same plane was leaving somewhere and that was supposed to be leaving 20 minutes ago. So it's like... They, they don't lose any money from every flight being half an hour late and then it's just like accumulates so the morning flight is 20 minutes late which means that every single flight from there on out is going to be 20 minutes late because they plan it so that the moment that the plane hits the airport it's serviced and then it instantly goes out there's no buffer time because then you need to pay the staff more to sit in the plane and it's work time for them and you know it's just that much more money efficient for them it's not good yeah. for the for us but you know yeah no that's actually very well explained and that's also why we have the shipping crisis at the moment it's exactly the same phenomena just exchange the planes with ships and the airports with harbors and you have exactly the same and i think the only advantage planes have is that you sort of have this period of a night where just nothing happens so between like midnight and 6 a.m., no planes, no flights, no nothing, at least in Europe. So it's sort of a reset point for the network. And then the next day you can start over again. Whereas for the ships, you don't really have that. That's why one delay, such as the Suez Channel, can lead to, well, minor fuck-ups for half a year or even longer. Yeah, and with this kind of item logistics, I imagine it's also a real nightmare for the truck drivers like if you're like if, if you're on the road and you're not feeling well enough to drive safely 
you still need to get to the boat because it is leaving when it's supposed to be leaving. It's not going to wait for you. And if, if I if I can like relate that back into some schedules in UIP, when, when I like build a, a training schedule, what I used to do before was I would say, okay, we're going to have this module here, this lasts an hour, then this module here, this lasts an hour, this here an hour. And you really try to, let's say, thinking about this as a low cost airline, you're thinking I want as much airtime possible. So I want as much delivery time as possible. And how can we crunch all of this with in this day then we have a bit of food here a bit of transfer here okay okay nothing ever goes to schedule so one thing kind of goes over 10 minutes so what you do is then the next one is kind of like saying well just fly your plane a little bit faster <laughs> you know like we're still going to cover all the same content of what we're going to do next now we're just going to have to throw it at the people even quicker and that will never actually happen properly because there will be confusion and that delays even further even further even further and, it, and some, then you cut back on the brakes and then literally and that was the biggest issue and that's something that i always make sure now never to do is then cutting back on brakes because it's it's kind of like saying okay i want the i want the plane to go faster but i'm also going to decrease the amount of fuel we're using like you can't do that like if you're if you're working with a committee if you're working with your chairs or your media team or any eyp team if you start to put them through something more intense and actually increase the rate of stuff that they need to go through then they need longer break times not shorter ones on top of that stuff yeah the human attention span is not suited for you the way a lot of eyp trainings work but then <laughs> even even during the session right it's very rare that we actually plan in to have buffer time or to have downtime we're really thinking of like the maximization of time so so chris like if you, if you take from from all the d d kind of different things you've been looking into in terms of like that, that logistics side and seeing how it is because a plane has like left late that it arrives late so like that explains transfers and stuff like this then what would be the way for our like UIP schedules or stuff like this to actually make sure we don't fall into the shitty hole of just trying to squeeze absolutely everything into it and then cutting out any like possible chill time within a day. Hmm. So I mean from a theoretical point of view there's actually an easy and neat way to calculate all of this but I mean that's maybe a bit beyond the scope for <laughs> a regular head organizer but I, I think like as a rule of thumb I would say that you should leave at least one third of the time as downtime. And by that, I don't mean the time they are sleeping when there's nothing scheduled. That's not what I mean by downtime, but within what? the actual program. <laughs> of course, that's downtime. That, that's, that's, the, that's, like, that's the breaks we have in EYP. No, 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 no. We, we, we give them committee work to do at night. You know, we're like, can you research this right, for right, tomorrow? Because right. we're going to start this in committee work because yeah, yeah. we run just, out of just, time. Yeah, just write your GA speech. Literally. You know, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, from a practical point of view, the day has 24 hours. If you deduct sleep, I think experts say especially for younger people they need like eight hours of sleep so if you deduct eight hours from 24 and then of course people don't instantly fall asleep so you can't just end the program they sleep and then wake up and program instantly starts so you would need to leave at least a buffer of i don't know let's say one hour before and after sleeping to get ready to get ready for bed and so on which already makes 10 hours so you theoretically have maybe 14 hours of the day left if you really want to 
cramp everything you've got. But then again, with the 30% downtime, I think that already reduces it a lot again. And then if you consider people want to have actual breaks and so on, uh, which you sh shouldn't count into the downtime, so break should be part of the program. I think uh, you you can easily see where it's going. <laughs> Most people are probably not going to like it because, of course, they want to cover as much as possible. But I think just having a crowded program doesn't mean that you're actually covering more yeah. than if you don't have a crowded program. Because sometimes, like at least in my experience, when I look back at sessions, the ones I enjoyed the most or where I learned the most were also the ones where there was scheduled downtime, where there was literally days in the session where they would say, hey, nothing to do for a whole day. You can like we offer opportunities if you want to do this or that or here you have some board games or whatever you need to, but really nothing on the agenda, nothing on the program to do. Yeah. And even during daytime or if the lunch break was running late for half an hour, then you would have half an hour, which was not intended to be a break as a break. And you suddenly start chatting with people around you. And then you might realize, hey, the members of the other committee are much more into things I'm into than my own committee. And then you actually get to know some other people out of your personal bubble that was designated for you. And even later as an official, I think cross-team communication is only possible if you actually have the time for it. Yeah, I think it's crazy how big of a schedule EYP events try to smash into these two or three day events. Like, imagine the program of putting together a team, coming on the same line about a complex topic, and then coming up with a solution and debating that solution. Like, that's not a three-day process anywhere except in EYP. It ends up in this kind of situations like the training or the whole schedule in general, like we, we just we just don't have the attention span to properly attend mentally the entire program, especially when there's like other things you also want to do at the session, socializing. Yeah, but I think sometimes the sense of urgency can be good. So I think mostly what I realized with the EYP is, is that they are better at doing decisions on the spot. So if there's something problematic coming up, or even if you're just discussing, hey, should I buy this flavor of ice cream or the other one? I would see that people are, tend to be more decisive. They, they know more what they want. Whereas other people I know, they would start arguing and debating for half an hour. Hey, this flavor is better or this. So I think sometimes this is like really pushing people to come to conclusions, come to decisions, or sometimes to decide on the spot, just by instinct, by nature, I don't know, whatever people decide based on. But I think that's also a valuable skill to have, which sometimes can be enforced through the program. So I would see that as something yeah. good. Yeah. I, I would argue that that will happen regardless, <laughs> even if we have proper break times. <laughs> EYP events just tend to work that way. <laughs> there are just very intense things happening all the time. Uh, part of partly because of this problem, but it's not. It's not just this. Like even if we do have days off, this kind of cultural days, it's still gonna be a very intense <laughs> event for most of the time we're there. That's true. And I, I feel like it's something that we've been discussing now and then in, in different episodes as well, where it's, there's almost this 
this constant debate in UIP and I, I feel like where people lay into this also depends on how long they've been in the organization where it's if we, if we think about how UIP was about 10 years ago it was a very different organization you know we would be squeezing into our 15 to 16 hour work days and really from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to sleep and there isn't that much sleep that happens in between then anyway you grind you grind you grind you grind you grind you grind and I look at that both as a negative and as a positive of course you know there's so many negatives in terms of your emotional welfare your ability to actually be aware of how others are feeling around you based on your actions and the actions of other people around you and you know it's very difficult to create a safe space when people are so mentally drained in that way and trying to work over capacity but then on the other hand there are like episode after episode like when we're talking to people everyone's saying you know eyp gives you this amazing life skill where other people go through something really hard and really challenging and they struggle like hell and UI peers can just go for it grind and kind of go through stuff like let's say I you know you need to write a paper at the last minute anyway PS sits down and grinds and kind of goes through that kind of stuff someone you know you're going to go to a party until three four o'clock in the morning and then the next day at eight o'clock you need to do a presentation UIP grinds through it would be able to do that so you know you have like these kind of two different ways of looking at it whereas then today we're moving way more towards the we do actually need to create proper safe spaces we do need to take our time we need more quality over quantity and I feel I'm I'm still kind of lost in between the two because I, I do understand this extra life skill of like this hardcore grind that EYP can give us but then I do understand the negative emotional impact it can have on so many people. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I think you make a very fair point. I remember back then for sessions, if you were going, you had to plan at least two days after just for recovery. <laughs> so the, if the session would end on the Sunday, there was really no way going to school or university on Monday. That was just physically impossible for most people, I would say. But but the question I had uh, with what you just said is basically, would you argue that the newer generation of EYPs who sort of not had this experience, do you think they have less of those skills, the skill set? I, I, I don't know through any empirical evidence or anything like that whatsoever, but intuitively, I would say that they probably would have less as in, let's say, even if I think about, let's say, myself on a personal level, because I, through my childhood, I was working from the age of like 12 years old, running the kitchen from the age of 15, building houses and stuff at like 12, 13. So, you know, like, because I had like a, a hardcore, like grinding, grinding, grinding childhood, it was then very easy for me to then step into anything else in which I just had to like grind and grind through something or to get through. Whereas other people who, let's say, didn't have to work in their childhood or stuff and just kind of do things in their own pace uh, when they then kind of put, get placed in the same kind of settings I tend to see that they find that a lot more difficult to just grind and grind and grind through something so I, intuitively when I look into EYP and I see yeah back then when we used to do just two two to three hours sleep per night and you just work your way through even during an IS which that would just absolutely kill you after those two weeks just to carry on pushing yourself pushing yourself to there's nothing in you and then you would just survive on coffee yeah I, I would definitely say that though well in my opinion I would say that those people do have that certain skill that the newer people wouldn't have got from EYP as much maybe they got that externally maybe EYP still gives you part of something like this but I don't think it would be to the same level as what 
let's say <clears throat> the people from five ten years ago uh, would have got in the organization yeah i think it's very important to sort of draw a line there like wh where is it actually required to be grinding and where do you just do it for the fun of it for, or for the sake of it because if i'm being very honest if i remember my first international forum there we spend every night drinking until 2 3 a.m maybe even later and that was not necessary in any sense there was no no pressure or no you know like <laughs> it wasn't something we had to do we choose to do it and then other yeah. deadlines got delayed and then we had to start the grinding but in theory there would have been enough time mm -hmm. without the drinking to do everything without all the stress involved so i think sometimes it's also important to tell is it actually required now to have that kind of stress or do do i need that do i want that or do i want to have this instead of doing that sort of thing yeah that's a good point i i guess if you look at both of them okay you can you still reach the same output right you still get shit done at the end of the day one of them puts in more hours of doing stuff some of that stuff is random stuff such as partying and drinking and then puts in more hours in terms of then actually getting the stuff done or or like put, spends less amount of time of getting the stuff done itself and more just trying to do it as fast as they can because now they're way behind on their deadline whereas on the other side they actually you know if you divide your time properly actually organize it and work in a nice quality way you can actually get shit done but both of them still have that same outcome in a session of things get done we have those good outcomes but then if i think a year after that session well one person went through a session where they're organizing their time and if they manage to organize their time and they're working properly then they can get stuff done whereas the other person even in a tight pinch they get stuff done and i guess that's one of the difference in terms of the skill sets is sometimes it will happen in life where there is something last minute that comes up and you just now need to put your head down and do something within that short period of time. And maybe that is like this kind of skill many people like refer to of what, like that kind of EYP grind. Yeah, I think the more important skill to gain from that is probably to sort of define for yourself what you're capable of. To, to clearly know, hey, if I have this amount of work, I can finish in this amount of time, roughly. And not to over or underestimate oneself. Because you clearly know where you're standing in the timeline. You clearly know when the deadline is approaching. And you know how much time you have in between. And if you then, you can already start this calculation we had mm. earlier again. And then say, okay, I need this amount of sleep. I need this amount for that. How many hours do I have left? Is that enough to finish the job? Do I need to stress yeah. about it? I think I like. I that. think one very important learning here is also, uh, learning there is also the kind of consequences that this has on you. Yeah, you learn how much you can put, pull yourself through, but you also learn what does it do to you in a mentally and mental and physical way. And I think it's a very interesting conversation also in the sense that it's not necessarily black and white. Like we don't have a version of EYP where we party all night, crunch 17 hour work days and don't sleep at all. And then another version of EYP where we just we get a five hour spa holiday every day and 10 hours of sleep and then a little bit of work. And it's like implementing some welfare aspects into the session 
so that the participants can choose to participate in them doesn't necessarily strip them of this learning of them crunching through things because there's going to be a di- there's going to be very different sessions like some sessions you really click with the people and that that's where it's important for you to really spend time after hours chilling with them and doing that social thing and putting yourself in a less like using the time that's available to you using that less for your well-being and more for the session and what you can gain from it in that sense and it's like i think it's important to kind of highlight this like sure we we have a lot of welfare things that we can implement more into sessions but then that's up to the participants that should be up to the participants not something we in a way like i i've noticed this kind of culture counterculture to okay we have this uh, traditional party culture of eyp where everyone feels like they're pressured of fomo of they need to be doing all sorts of social things but we also have a counterculture of that for that these days which says that you should be taking care of yourself you should not be doing this other thing because taking care of yourself is more important and i think it's a very strange values judgment to tell people which one of those they should go for that's true because i guess i guess it's kind of important to weave between both since you do need to put yourself in multiple experiences to do what chris was saying is be aware of what is your capacity what can you do how what is the best way that you work you can't really know that if you only ever try one way of doing things and so the more different experiences you get and maybe that's something really rich that we get from uip is that every single session is completely different yes we have the same kind of foundations we know what we're going to be doing we know roughly our role allocation how this kind of is carried out but the way every session goes is very different so you put yourself into those different experiences and the more you kind of rack up of those the more you start to build out your understanding of your capability and stuff um i I think what we should have sort of aimed for is to to set up an environment that sort of facilitates both that sort of allows participants to try out where where they personally fit Mm. so if you see it as right or left and then there's a line in between and the light uh, the line sometimes goes right and left and sometimes if you go too far right or too far to the left there should be someone to tell you there should be someone approaching you the next day and be like hey nathan i saw you were partying all night and then now suddenly you're not able to work anymore that was probably not the best decision and you went too far to the left and then nathan as the participant can clearly change and adapt his behavior possibly to go a bit more to the other side maybe take a night off a bit more relaxed and then the next day is able to work yeah. again and i think it should somehow facilitate this learning experience because i think as a young person it's really hard to judge at the age of 16 when you're starting and might be the first time you're doing an all-nighter or partying three days in a row it might be like the first time you're doing this so you can't possibly know what are going to be the effects on myself and i'm this kind of person i believe you don't really know until you try out so if you haven't tried you don't really know what it does Mm. to you and everyone works differently for some people it might be fine to do this for others it might be too much so I think we need just this understanding that people want to try out what's physically possible. Um, But at the same time, also providing the space to say, hey, 
it's okay you don't need to try every single day every single night how much is possible it might be fine if you tr try just once during the session and that's it that might be and i think this also relates back to team building because in every team building training they tell you hey you can push your delegates but maybe not too much don't push them off the cliff you know kind of thing i like that i think one thing that's really important to mention here for the network is that that's something also that we need for the head organizers and the rest of the leadership to enable like we need to have a space to explore this boundary like the amount of times i've seen i i've been to a, you know the party room at the session where one of the people that just happens to be unfortunate enough to be staying in that room, just sleeping there while people are partying. Like we need to have this kind of spaces that people can do this without harming the other participants experience through that. And that's like, how is it that, that we never, I've never seen an EYP session where we just had a, some sort of a lounge or a designated area. If you want to go party during the night, you can do so here without keeping other people awake or causing the venue to any noise complaints every night. That's true. I guess that that's that's a really difficult line to like to walk on because it's yeah, it is when you when you legalize a certain behavior, when you when you're saying let's say to your delegates that you know we we expect you to sleep and get a nice eight hours. We expect you, you know, to really take care of yourself. And we say at the same time, if you don't want to do that, there's a party room there go ahead when you kind of allow that behavior in that formal way we know it's going to happen informally anyway but when we kind of then set that formal way of saying this is okay here then maybe there's a structural element to that then that let's say pushes more people over to that side who would have gone to sleep maybe being like okay there isn't really a party going on it's fine you know what i should probably just get my eight hours of sleep uh, maybe there are some of these people that they it's more easy for them to make the decision and say yeah you know what let's party all my friends are over there is anyway is that a bad thing like you're just enabling people enabling people to make that decision that's true I actually have a very good practical example, I think, of one thing we do at EYP Germany. So usually there we organize the parties ourselves, which means we're also buying the alcohol before the parties. And then the, the problem sort of is that alcohol is really cheap in Germany. And we as a non-profit organization, in theory, would need to sell for the same price we're buying because we don't want to make profit from the alcohol sales, of course. But at the same time, you also want to be a bit more like sort of force some responsibility on the participants, because if a bottle of beer, half a liter is 50 cents, then you know what the participants are going to do. They're going to drink until their money is empty or until the beer is empty, because the, the pricing is so little that they, they just drink as much as they can. Whereas if you put a more decent price on the alcohol, let's say one or two euros, then you make maybe a little profit. But at the same time, you also have this a bit more responsible drinking yeah. behavior. It's still not very expensive, but you know, there's a certain, certain uh, boundary, so to say. And I think that's always something that should be discussed. So maybe there could be a party room at the venue but you would need to approach an organizer to get the key for it <laughs> or something like that. You know that there's always like a, a little something yeah. which makes you reflect on your on your decision. 
So it's not prohibited per se, but it's like, hey, do you actually want to approach him and get the key and then get the party room? Or do you maybe just skip tonight and go again tomorrow sort of thing? I see what you mean. Yeah, setting out certain barriers and they're more kind of like mental barriers to getting to there to than actual barriers of getting there, just like with the financial one and stuff. I like that. Yeah. And yeah, that, that, that is such a predicament. That kind of reminds me of like, you know, the, the tobacco issue where, where governments charge um, a huge, huge, huge percentage of tax on, on all tobacco products in which is created an environment in which the government isn't really incentivized in decreasing the amount that people smoke because they're making so much on the tax side <laughs> of cigarettes and of tobacco products in which more than pays off any of the let's say national health service or anything like that that they have to kind of go back towards so like yeah the fact that they've done that so much is kind of like let's say NUIP if after session after session after setting the price of beer at two two euros or something like this you almost rely on the parties as part of the income to fund the session <laughs> and then i don't know, you get to that oh yeah that's gonna happen exactly you get to that scenario and you're like okay during this party we're definitely gonna make up another three four hundred euros and that we normally use to fund the coffee breaks and then we let's say in uip you know we're trying to move more and more away from the alcohol culture it's like how are we gonna do our coffee breaks though <laughs> we need our funding <laughs> i don't know i always found that like the parting and like i don't know for me the parting and alcohol were always separate issues like having this kind of taking care of yourself and like sure like spending your night out not sleeping at all is gonna damage your well-being to a degree but also drinking excessive amounts of alcohol is gonna damage it as well it's so, like there there are multiple aspects there i think they have very separate solutions to them. There, there was something I was actually that, that was on my mind a, a little bit ago when, when when Chris was talking about like the, the the capacity of of people and being aware of your capacity. And I feel like yeah, that definitely is a, a big thread through like a lot of this stuff. And one of the things I've been thinking even about myself recently is I'm taking so many different projects and so many different things on at the same time. And I always kind of go through these loops of awareness around it where I start to kind of think to myself, oh my God, I am actually taking a lot on because as soon as people start to ask me about different things, like, oh yeah, I'm also, oh yeah, yeah, also that one. Oh, I'm also doing this one. Oh, I'm also doing that. Oh, I'm also doing this. Like, do you have space to do this? Are you able to do this? And then when I hear people say that, and then I start to not really deliver on a couple of them, I start to question myself and say, oh, have I taken on too much? Do I have the capacity for this? But then I kind of go back into the cycle. And one thing that really helped me was reading this essay on structured procrastination. It's a beautiful, beautiful essay by uh, John, John Perry, who's a professor in Stanford, I think. Oh, oh no, one of those unis. Beautiful, beautiful essay. Um, I... I I did my best to try to sum up, sum up in a different way in a in in a TED talk over in Greece, and I think I called it like the structured of yeah no the struggles of structured procrastinate procrastinators, and basically like the the whole idea of structured procrastination is that like John Perry he kind of starts off his essay by saying I'm writing this essay not because I have free time. <laughs> he says i have these papers to grade i have these uh drafts to review i have these things to publish i have these things to referees like the amount of stuff i need to do <laughs> is ridiculous and that's why i'm writing this essay as a productive way not to do all those things in which the idea is 
whenever we talk about procrastination normally it's about giving yourself quick wins or little fun things to do in order to distract yourself from those larger problems and then that kind of goes in a deeper cycle etc but within structured procrastination it's quite different it's saying no there are you give yourself a ton of different things to do you almost in your mind you prioritize them what are the most important ones it's like cool those are the ones i'm not going to do but i'm going to do stuff that is kind of important ish i believe maybe that's somewhere on the list and i just start to attack them instead and then what your output is is you tend to do just a ton of different things and people look at it they're like oh my god you're so productive you managed to do all these things and this is so great but then you yourself are always looking at those top two priorities that you're not doing (laughs) because you're doing all of these things as a way to avoid doing those things so then you feel shitty about yourself so that's something I've definitely lived with for like for many many years and then sometimes I kind of walk away from that awareness and then start to feel shitty about it again and then like recently I've kind of pulled myself back and said oh actually no it's okay I regularly not deliver on at least two or three of the projects I'm currently on at the same time because I'm delivering on the other ones and that will rotate those ones there that I'm doing today they're going to be ignored for a few months (laughs) while I do the other ones and that is okay that's just the way I work and I don't have to feel too shitty about myself but The reason why I kind of bring this up in particular is because if we're thinking about the uh, like the capacity, like the awareness of your capacity and how much stuff that you kind of can take on. Well, within the kind of structured procrastination lens, and I'm not saying that everyone is a structured procrastinator or this is the same for everyone. I think it's I know, a group of people who may really align to this way of feeling and kind of really work through this way. Maybe a larger group, maybe a smaller group. I have no idea, but I definitely feel I'm a, I'm a part of this group. And if you're someone within this group, it's quite difficult to know your capacity because you just pile on more things and yes some of those things are not going to be like getting done for a while but that's okay because you kind of just rotate them so it's almost your capacity is this weird flexible thing that you just don't know how big or how small it actually is but somehow it manages to get stuff done over the years yeah i think this also relates back really nicely to applying to sessions i don't know if you've ever been there but Usually the way it goes is you attend one event, you're like, hey, that was nice, so I can do one more. And then the one just kicks off slowly and you're like, hey, well, I have the capacity to do at least one more. So you apply somewhere else and you have a second event and they they also happen to be right after one another. And then there might be one more coming up, which looks really exciting. And you're like, hey, I already have two, but you know, like all good things are three. So <laughs> let's take one more in. And I think then you just end up at this point where you, where it's impossible to do everything at the same time. You sort of have to prioritize and then you feel start feeling bad. So let's say you prioritize session one and two. And three is sort of, ah, you know, and then you start feeling bad about it because even on session three, there's people, you know, and you're really looking forward to meet them. And the event itself is also really exciting, but you, you just don't have the time and the capacity to work on it until the day you arrive. And then everyone is like, hey, so how did your session preparation go? And you're like, hmm, well, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been there. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that really defines this sort of uh, way of approaching this for me is the kind of what kind of projects 
do you take on that pile? And for me, it really helps to take on different sorts of things that complement each other. Not that I have one EYP thing and then I have another that I'm supposed to be delivering on and taking on another EYP thing on top of that. That's not going to be a pro- procrastinating for EYP to do EYP. For me, it's more of a, I procrastinate from doing EYP and work to, let's say, read a book. But for me, it's very different whether I read a very heavy academic book or whether I read sci-fi. And it's still going to be, in a way, structured, this kind of structured procrastination in that I'm doing something that I want to do, something that's important to me, but something that I know is complementary to the other things that I'm doing. And I think that goes very well with the EYP as well, like within the session. Like you can take on these different types of things and that's kind of where the you know social parting side of EYP comes in as well. Like you need that balance for this to really work for you. That's true, that's true. And I can also kind of relate that back to even if I think about like exams, I remember in France, so yeah, I grew up in France and in France when we're doing our like high school exams on some of them, like we would have to write maybe like three essays in three hours or in four hours or something like this. And what we would always be told to do is you read you read all three questions so yeah uh yeah all, all the three different questions that you're going to be write different essays for then you plan each of them and then you start writing the first one then you start going for a second then you start going to the third but you don't just like read the first one plan the first one write the first one read the second one plan the second one write the second one you kind of go through all of them because that's the way our minds work is we constantly relate in different ideas and new things spark things to the other and it was really important then to almost like work between the three of them at the same time in your mind because that way you can actually draw all those lateral links and kind of create really cool stuff and I guess that's that's the thing with taking on so many different things at the same time as long as there's some kind of links between them and then it is like one plus one equals three. Hmm. But would you like the question that just came in, into my mind is, would you start with the toughest question, the hardest one, or the easiest one? Oh, that I don't know. I think personally, I would start with whichever one I'm most inspired about. So what I would consider as the easiest for me to do, because I'd be inspired for it. Because then all that inspiration, all that energy going through there, because I still have the other questions and the other outlines in my mind, that is actually going to subconsciously continue to develop out that plan as I'm writing this one. And I guess that's the same kind of when you're thinking about these different projects. Where, uh, let's say there's 10 different things that I'm taking on at the same time. It's like, cool, there's these two that are the most important. So I'm probably not going to be doing those because (laughs) they're too important to do. So I'm just going to start working on all these other ones until one of these becomes really important. And then it's like, okay, now we're going to jump on one of these other two because this one's a bit too important to do now. And I kind of, I guess... I tend to just bounce into the ones that I feel inspired to do at this time. A lot of times it's whatever I'm doing here then gives me the ideas for anything else I need to do somewhere else. The ideas or the energy or the momentum or something behind it. Yeah, I would definitely also approach it from a what inspires me kind of a way because that's what you're going to be the most efficient working on is what your brain feels the most engaged with. But I think this then brings up an interesting contrast to me because what i found or like with the i've been following some resources on like on mental health and they were talking about creative block and this sort of 
problem that some people have that okay they pick up something that they want to learn and they're really enthusiastic about it they really work hard to become good at it and then it just stops like they can they're just blocked they can't really put themselves to it the same way that they could before and the kind of theory that i've found myself liking the most is that your kind of excitement for something and your the burnout that comes from it they they're like kind of different ends of the same axle like if you if you go into something you go into learning something because you're excited about it you cannot you're kind of depending on that excitement to make progress and when that prog where that excitement ends that's where your learning ends you cannot at the same in the same way push yourself to like write more of your book because you're dependent on the excitement to do it and if you would in contrast to this try and make it into a habit of a let's say i've been learning the piano this year and what i do is i do it every single night at the same time for at least a very small period and that way my brain learns okay learning to play the piano is not dependent on when I'm excited to do it. It's dependent on me being used to doing it consistently. And that way I've never run into a prolonged period of time where I just couldn't be bothered or I couldn't find the inspiration to do it. Yeah, no. I and I wonder how, how this really reflects on the whole bigger thing of how we think about this, you know, multiple project things. No, I think it's a very fair point because if you think about it, like for instance, brushing your teeth, it's also not something you do because you're really excited about it. It's just something you do subconsciously because you do it every day. And then this sort of gives you the, I maybe wouldn't call it motivation to do it, but you you just do it. And because you, in the back of your mind, you know, hey, if I want to have nice teeth or if I want to learn the piano, I have to keep my efforts consistent. If I don't brush my teeth for a week, then that's problematic for the learning experience and for my teeth, you know. That that that, that kind of reminds me of a, a Rick and Morty quote <laughs> that I just had to fill up here. It's when uh, so for Rick and Morty fans out there, um, it's, it's 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 during the the pickle Rick episode where you know Rick turns himself into a pickle in order to avoid going to family therapy because he doesn't really want to talk about his alcohol issues or his issues with his family and like the therapist says something really 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 beautiful i'm sure that you know if you came to these sessions you're going to be bored this is going to be really boring work that you're going to go through in these therapy sessions just like when i brush my teeth or i wipe my ass these are not adventures in which i could potentially die on the risks are not high, the stakes are not high on them, but it's this baseline work that I have to do every day, every day, every day, every day in order to kind of keep myself at a certain state. Actually, what, what helps me a lot personally is uh, just to, to plan my days, but not in a calendar-fashioned way, so not to set appointments after appointment, but more in the sense of, what do you want to achieve during that day and what do you start with and then i have a list of things i want to do and i can also say how much priority i want to give to the different things so for instance for my thesis i now had to learn our programming language and i decided okay so every day i'm going to set aside half an hour 
just to study that could be in the morning could be in the evening depending on my mood but i want to set aside half an hour and then of course you also have regular tasks coming up something which you can't schedule to your liking especially if you work or if you have courses at university and so on so there's things you have to do but around that you can schedule stuff to your liking and then there's even an app for that where you just enter the task you give a certain amount of time and then it basically creates your own schedule and also reminds you so after half an hour it will tell you hey you're now done doing this start the next thing and that personally really helps me because before that I was always sort of lost with all the things I had to do. So even if the whole day was free, I think the problem was that the day was free, that there was nothing really set. And then I didn't really know where to start and what to do first. And then I started doing this, but re didn't really get anywhere. You know, like you always tend to start something and then in the first five minutes you realize you want to do something else. And if you, if you never push across those five minutes, you can spend a whole day starting a lot of things, but finishing nothing. And that in the end then is always really disappointing to me personally, at least. Whereas if I have my day scheduled and I have the small tasks, and even if it's really easy stuff, like check your emails, go to this website and so on. So s smaller tasks you have to do every time I do one, it feels like an accomplishment and then at the end of the day I can say hey at least I've finished 10 tasks. I think it's really interesting to think about how this would then reflect on what we do in EYP because a lot of the work that we engage on engage in is very it comes to you as it comes to you. You can't really pace it out the same way as you would other projects that don't have strict deadlines. If you're presiding a session and you have bunch of topical reviews that you need to review before they go out to the delegates then there's a usually a very strict you know timeline of okay that this is when the documents are going to come to you and this is when they need to be out you don't have the luxury to really consider this the same way but maybe we could start to schedule things differently and give more time for ourselves to plan these things out I mean, you're still in control of your time. So let's say, even if you, let's say to take the most ridiculous example and say you need to review these eight by the end of today and you're like, crap. Well, I guess you can still cut that out during your day and you say, okay, well, before lunchtime, what, what is it that I want to get done uh, before dinner? What is it that, what, that I want to get done? And kind of then pace yourself that way. And then you kind of go through something, check that off. So I guess there are still ways of working within your time or, because I guess it's just like mentally setting out certain times to do certain things and mentally setting out yourself certain expectations as opposed to actually changing these different things that need to get done. And the stuff is more just changing our perspective of when I look at it for me not to feel overwhelmed or to want to do something else, but more kind of like tricking yourself into pursuing stuff and getting that dopamine rush as you check something off. Yeah, and I think there's also different approaches to it. So if we take the example we just had with the topic overviews that you need to read through, 
then you could allocate times in different fashions. So you could say, if I have A to read, you could give the equal amount of time to each of them. So you say, hey, I spend 20 minutes each. And after 20 minutes, you always get a reminder and you instantly switch to the next one. And then you just have to have the mindset and peace of mind to say, hey, what I've done in the 20 minutes is fine. This is how it looks like. Or if you know in advance, one is really troublesome, but the seven other are looking great already, then you might spend 50% of the time just on one and 50% of the time on the other seven, but you still know, hey, so if I have four hours in total, it's gonna be two hours for this and two hours for the rest of them. And I think with that mindset, you don't get distracted as easily and sort of mental accomplishment is easier to reach. Yeah. And the, that 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 actually aligns with like the the resolution typing like method that I use. So um I I started building a bit of a hybrid between the bottleneck breaker and some more kind of like strict deadline stuff and like jo Joel was a part of that in um in, in Yerevan there as well where what 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 I what I always do is um I kind of I have my huge flip chart that I kind of put out and then every single check has a deadline. So even before we walk into the resolution typing, I know exactly when the VP check of the fourth resolution is going to be in. I know exactly when the buddy check of this because what we kind of then do is to schedule everything out and say, okay, let's use everyone's capacity at the best way possible. So whichever resolution is actually closest to being done, uh, we'll go straight to a VP check out just straight away, or even potentially straight over to president check. There'll be hardly any checks going along the way to make sure that everybody's is working at full capacity all the time. And if we bear that in mind, then the second resolution cannot go to president because president is busy. So president will be finished at this time because the president only has X amount of time allocated to do this check. And so let's say it's now 7 p.m. that president will be done with the first check. Then we know the president needs to get the second check at exactly seven o'clock. So then you budget, okay, well, how long do we have for VP checks beforehand? Okay, how, how much capacity do we have for them? And you start to kind of figure out all of this stuff and you build a beautiful um, spreadsheet that tells you in advance exactly what time every check needs to go through. And let's say if you're, if you're doing a buddy check or you're doing a native check or a VP check or whatever check you're doing and you've been given an allocated time, it doesn't matter whether you're finished or not, it goes on to the next person at that allocated time, just full stop. If anyone decides to know I wanna spend more time on this, then the whole system falls apart. But when everyone actually does adhere to this and time after time where I've run this, we do actually adhere to it. Then we do resolution checks within I think the fastest I did was an hour and 40 minutes. And even during the IS, we finished, did we finish at midnight? Was it one minute to midnight or is it one minute to 1 a.m.? I, th I think it's one minute, it could be one minute before midnight. And I think we did the full IS resolution typing in like a three hour period or three and a half hours. It was like a ridiculous short amount of time that we got through. Like, it, I don't believe it had been done that short before. But it was about this of saying, okay, it's not about saying we need to make sure everything is perfect and then my reputation is held to that. It's saying you have X amount of time to do stuff. Do your best within that time allocation 
and then it just moves on we're just gonna carry on because we need to look after our own sanity we know we have all of this stuff to do we still need to get some sleep we still need to actually enjoy the session etc and we're going to dedicate this time to make sure that everything's more readable and then whatever result that comes out we're going to be happy with accepting kind of work that has been done so far and not pushing yourself to change it after the fact something we should maybe think about more it's it's always so strange to hear your own voice because you never hear yourself like rarely there's not really ever any occasion where you hear yourself that's true and i feel like if if we weren't doing this then john and i would be bored <laughs>